All right. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. And uh, I just want to welcome you today. We are one church gathering in multiple locations. And so I just want to look right into the camera, say hello and Merry Christmas to our North Campus. Uh, those of you downtown, anybody at West or online, and uh, those of you here at Northwest. In fact, if you are here at any one of our campuses and you came today because somebody invited you, uh, I just want to acknowledge you uh, and just thank you so much for coming. Maybe uh, it was a family member or a friend. Maybe it was somebody you didn't even know. They just uh, came up to you at the checkout line or maybe at a restaurant and they invited you to come and you came. And I'm really glad that you did. And uh, my name is Aaron and I get to be one of the pastors around here and would absolutely love to get a chance to meet you sometime soon. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't know what you walked in here thinking or feeling today but I would imagine that most of us could find ourselves in maybe one of three very general categories. And maybe you came in here today honestly feeling pretty good. You know, it's Christmas Eve. Maybe you're already starting to reflect back on 2019. And you would honestly just say, man, things, are, things aren't perfect, but they're good. And in keeping in line with the Christmas season, you might even go as far as to say that you are full of cheer. I, I don't know. Maybe that's how you would put it. And uh, you would just say, man, I'm just really grateful for my health and my relationships and my career is going in the right direction. It hasn't always been that way. And I'm just, things are good. And I hope that's the category you might find yourself in. But uh, reality tells me that not everybody would be there. And in fact, maybe you're here today and you might find yourself in this category right here where you're just experiencing a little bit of winter chill. You know, things aren't uh, great, but they're not bad either. And in fact, maybe you look at your life and you say, uh, things like are in such a condition that I should be happier than what I am. I don't know why I'm not. And I can't quite fully put my finger on the reason why, but something feels off. Or maybe that's not the word. Maybe the word is, is stuck. And you just kind of feel stuck in your life. Maybe stuck in your job or in your marriage, or maybe spiritually speaking, you just sort of feel stuck. Like there was a time in your past where you thought pretty confidently you knew what you believed or you knew what you didn't believe, but now like you're not so sure. You have more questions than you have answers. And yet I know that there's probably uh, a number of us today that might find ourselves in a third category. We might just be going through a really difficult time and maybe the word would just sort of be, you know, bah humbug. And we're just kind of like, man, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I know I should be. Like, it's Christmas Eve, and you came in here today putting on a brave face, you know, because you didn't want to ruin the Christmas cheer of the people that you're with. But if you were just to be really honest, you would say, man, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just going through kind of a difficult time. Things are, are really hard right now. And I don't know what category you might find yourself in. Uh, chances are it, it may be even a mixture of all three. That's possible too. Like you could go through the day or maybe the week and just find yourself experiencing all three of those. I don't know where you are. But what I do know is, is this, is that Christmas has a tendency to magnify like whatever season you're already in. And so if things are really good, then um, Christmas will magnify that. And unfortunately, if things are difficult right now, Christmas will elevate that feeling too. Because the holidays are emotional. The, the holidays are nostalgic. Have you ever noticed that Christmas is the only special day that we do a countdown to? It's like, oh, 25 days till Christmas. You know, like we never do that for any other special day, do we? You know, we're never not like 20 days till Thanksgiving or 10 days till our anniversary or five days till Pastor Aaron's birthday. 
Nobody says that. It's really hurtful. I think one of the reasons why we watch the, the Christmas movies that we do, you know, the classics, the ones that we really love, is because regardless of the character in the movie, whether it's Clark Griswold or Kevin McAllister or Buddy the Elf, all of them have this idea of a perfect Christmas. Like if things would just go this way, if these people would do or say this thing, then, then, then per Christmas would be perfect. But what happens in all those movies is that things don't go as planned. Things are out of their control and chaos ensues and they're experiencing a difficult time. But yet the magic in all of those movies is the plot lines are all the same. They end up experiencing meaning and purpose and peace, even though Christmas is far from perfect. You know, when I think about the perfect Christmas, I very rarely think about the one that I'm in and I don't usually think about future Christmases. I always go into the past. It's very easy to get real nostalgic about the past and think about the good old days. And so when I think about the perfect Christmas, uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is this one right here. This is me when I'm six years old. My mom and dad got me this like semi truck. I love this thing. It had a big old eagle on the side of it. Nothing says America like a diesel truck with an eagle on the side of it. And I would roll that around the house. And uh, man, I remember that Christmas. And, and this next Christmas, when I was seven, I downgraded to Cabbage Patch Kids dolls. And uh, I just want to point something out. Like, you got to be pretty secure in your manhood to show thousands of people this picture. Just, just want to throw that out there. I, my, uh, a couple weeks ago when I was working on this message, I texted my mom. I said, can you text me some pictures when I was a kid at Christmas? And those are the two she sent. And right after this one, she sent me another one. She goes, actually, I still have both of these Cabbage Patch Kids dolls. She literally texted me a picture of them in her cabinet. And she said, they're technically yours if you want them. I was like, Mom, I am a grown man. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Just put them <laughs> in a very discreet, unmarked bag, all right? And I'll pick them up here later this week. I don't know what your idea of a perfect Christmas is. Um, maybe uh, your idea of a perfect Christmas would, I don't know, maybe look something like this. And you, you think about maybe some friends and family that are going to come over maybe later today or, or tomorrow. And it's possible that, that for you, the, the perfect Christmas would just simply be that um, everybody that you love would get together and that everybody would just be um, happy and grateful for their gifts, you know, regardless of what they are. And wouldn't it just be amazing for those of you that have got young kids in your home, if, you know, tomorrow morning you pass out all the gifts and the kids didn't like tear right into them right away, but they actually cherished each one. Or let's just say they just got one gift. And they, they take it and they, they hold it and they look at it. Maybe they begin to get a little misty-eyed and they, they don't rip into it. They just stop for a minute and they just go, Mom, Dad, it's whatever is in here. I'm so grateful for it. And thank you for your sacrifice and your hard work and your thoughtfulness for this gift. And maybe a tear would stream down their cheek and they would say, but all I really wanted was you. <laughs> but you know it ain't going to happen. And that's not going to happen in my household. Like those selfish little me monsters are going to rip open the gifts and they may or may not like it. It's a gamble, right? And, and maybe there's somebody in your house and their idea of a perfect Christmas would be like an iPhone 11. And, or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe you've got somebody in your house and maybe their idea of a perfect Christmas would, would be like a, a Nintendo Switch. Or maybe you've got somebody in your house and they've got, you know, this taste and like, yeah, woo. And uh, it's like, you know, you'd really love to see that under the tree. But I, I was doing, um, 
some research a couple weeks ago and I, I Googled the top 20 Christmas gift ideas in 2019. And it gave me the top 20 gift ideas on Amazon. And th- these two things were on it. Uh, this is, these are gloves that, that light up in the fingers. All right. And pretty classy gift. And, and then, and then the, the Snoop Dogg cookbook. All right. These, <laughs> these are on the top 20 so apparently there's a whole bunch of us out there like, man, if these two items were under the tree, that would be a pretty good Christmas. And so I just want to make somebody's Christmas dreams come true right now, all right? The, who would like the gloves? You right there. I saw you in the jacket right there. That was the first person I saw. Come on up here, man. Don't be ashamed. You're like, oh, man. I... You come up here and you take those gloves. You wear them with pride, all right? You take those. Merry Christmas to you. Now the, uh, the Snoop Dogg cookbook. Anybody? Yeah, why don't you, I feel a little guilty giving this to you, all right? But come on up. <laughs> Apologize to your mom and dad for me. I cannot, I cannot advocate everything you're going to read in that book, all right? So, <laughs> yeah, give her a hand for coming up. It was awesome. I'm going to get an email for that one. All right, so... Um, I don't know, maybe it has nothing to do with gifts. Maybe it's just, you know, you're like, man, uh, I would just love it if uh, that person that I've been estranged from this past year, like if we could just have a conversation. Like if there wouldn't be any drama, there wouldn't be any passive aggression, there wouldn't be any arguments or fights that we could just get together. Can I just ask you to take just a few seconds and think about your idea of a perfect Christmas? Like what would need to come together Who would need to show up? Like, what would you need to feel in order to actually sit back and go, man, that was a perfect Christmas. See, here's the thing, is that whatever came to your mind and whatever you're picturing, like a perfect Christmas, like, it just doesn't exist. And aren't you really glad you came to church today, right? Let's pray and go home, Uh, you know. No, but I, I think you already know that. I think you know that, like, realistically, like, a perfect Christmas, like, it isn't going to happen, but that, that's not altogether bad news. I think the, the faster that we can come to understand that and to accept it is the way back to experiencing peace at Christmas. See, the perfect Christmas is the one where you and I can experience. Experience goes far beyond what we actually can understand or know or feel. We can experience peace when our circumstances are less than perfect. And that's what we find in the Christmas story that Luke records for us. And I want to look at it again. I know that, that uh, every year at Christmas we look at this passage. And even if you don't find yourself in church very often or maybe you don't know the Bible super well, You've probably read or heard the Christmas story out of Luke a number of times. And the, the, the challenge to that is that we can become so familiar with it that it turns into white noise. And we start to read it and, and we don't really let it sink in. Or, or worse yet, we don't find ourselves in the middle of the narrative. You see, the Bible isn't just simply a history book recording facts that took place a long time ago that have no relevance to you today. And the Bible isn't just good literature that you just read. The the, the Bible is mostly written in narrative. And what brings narrative to life is when you can actually crawl into the story, when you can find yourself there and you can experience what it is they experienced. And so I just want to challenge you to do that as we read this passage. And I want you to notice how imperfect it really is. 
Luke says at that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, Luke was a physician by trade, but you got to admit that he's pretty good with words. And Luke isn't being dishonest here, but he's definitely um, spinning this in the best possible light to make the story sound really beautiful. And it is. I don't want to take anything away from that. But when you begin to look at some of these details and you begin to put yourself in Mary and Joseph's situation, at the very least, you had to go, man, talk about being stressed out. Talk about anxiety, because I would imagine this is not the way that they envisioned their family starting. This isn't the way that they wanted to spend Christmas. So could you just imagine, you know, Joseph coming into the kitchen, you know, that afternoon, and he's got that letter in the mail saying, you're going to have to make the trek back to Bethlehem to register for this census. And I mean, this is the equivalent of being summoned for jury duty. Like, who wants to do that? That, that? that notice always comes at just the wrong time. And I would imagine he broke the news to Mary, and I'm sure that her face fell. She's like, I really don't want to do that. And the reason why they had to go back, really, this just kind of fulfills all the prophecies. It says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth. How are they going to get to Bethlehem? And all of a sudden, he gets summoned to go back to do a census. And it's not like they could just hop in the suburban and make a little day trip out of it. Uh, Bethlehem was a four-day, 90-mile journey by donkey. Now, donkey rides are a lot of fun when you're seven, but not when you're nine months pregnant. Ladies, can I get a good amen, right? Like, that's awful, right? And I would imagine that it was a very silent donkey ride all the way to Bethlehem. And, and they get there, and uh, a detail in the story that we often take for granted is that there was no lodging for them. And always the, the, the thing that I've been pictured is that, you know, they, they pull up at the Motel 8, you know, late at night. And Joseph's like, oh, my goodness, I totally forgot to make a reservation. And by chance, is there an extra room? And the manager's like, no, there isn't. But I got this barn out back. But I, I don't know that it went down that way. So this is Joseph's hometown. I don't think they went to a hotel first. I think he went to friends and family first. I know that my wife and I are from... Uh, a town in southwest Missouri uh, called Joplin. And, and if we were just to make a road trip back there without uh, making a hotel reservation, if I totally forgot all that, I, I'm pretty confident that within about 10 or 20 minutes, I could probably find a place for us to crash. Friends, family, people I went to high school with, they'd probably open up their spare bedroom for us. You'd think it'd be the same for Joseph. And I would imagine that they probably found themselves on two or three front porches that evening, ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door, and maybe his grandma and grandpa, his aunt and uncle, maybe some old friends, they saw them there and like, oh, we heard about this story, Joseph. They see them there. He's standing there with his pregnant girlfriend. They're like, we don't want to have anything to do with this scandal. Could you imagine the judgmental stares and the shame that they would have experienced? This is the way the Messiah is going to come into the world under these circumstances? The manger, though, is where I think Luke does his best work. I mean, because, like, you know, right? Like, the manger's a feed trough. Manger just sounds so much better, though. 
But a feed trough, have you ever been on a farm and seen what farm animals eat out of? It's nasty and disgusting. And could you imagine Mary, a, a, a newborn mom, she, she's getting ready to lay her baby in a feed trough. What would have been going on in her heart and what thoughts would have been going on in her head? I'll take a stab at it. She's going, this isn't going to win me mom of the year award anytime soon. Like I can't believe that I don't have any place sanitary to lay my baby And all of this is going down, and it had to have just seemed like their lives were going off the rails. This is not the perfect Christmas by any stretch of the imagination. Several years ago, there were these doctors that put together this test to try to measure the stress and anxiety that we all feel. And um, anytime life changes on us... And it happens uh, outside of our control. So when something happens in your life and in mine that we can't control or we didn't have any say in, the result of it is stress and anxiety. And they call it life change or life change units or LCUs for short. And these two doctors, they, they went through some of the most common life changes that we can all experience that, and they assigned a number to it that was the amount of like, you know, stress points. And so they just kind of go through the list and uh, separation and divorce is worth about 65 points. Uh, adding a new family member is worth 39. Um, significant change in finances is worth 38. Uh, job loss is 45. Uh, difficulty with the in-laws is 29 points. I don't know why they wouldn't just round that up to 30. Seems more realistic. Pregnancy. <laughs> It's worth about uh, 40 points. And so you add all these up. Now, now these doctors say like anything over 300 on the scale, you're at risk of a significant nervous breakdown. You add up Mary and Joseph's LCUs on that first Christmas and it's somewhere between like 400 and 450. That's why what Luke writes next is something that's so surprising. I want to pick it up in verse 15. He's talking about the shepherds and The shepherds say this, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the feed trough. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now here's what I want you to see. But Mary, think about her. Mary kept all these things in her heart And she thought about them often. And I wonder what she was thinking. I wonder what was going on in Mary's heart. One translation says that Mary pondered all these things and treasured them in her heart. That's that's not uncommon for a new mom to do something like that. But I don't think that Mary was like having one of these like aha moments. I don't think that she was sitting there going, oh, this is amazing after all. Or now I totally get it. I think that she was sitting in the midst of of a lot of imperfection. She was sitting in the midst of what maybe to her felt like a bit of a train wreck. She never thought she would be in this kind of a situation. And I think this is a snapshot of her experiencing something that she couldn't fully understand or explain. You see, Mary is just as much of a human as you and I are. And I know that at this particular moment, she doesn't have the advantage of of history to look back and to see how we would sort of like make this moment such an epic thing. I think that Mary was still really struggling. And yet in the midst of all that, she was somehow, some way experiencing peace. 
And I wonder if she looked into the face of that baby laying in a filthy feed trough. And I wonder if she recalled the words that the prophet Isaiah had said about this Messiah hundreds of years before. That this child is the prince of peace. That in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all of this stress, that he came to bring peace and to be peace so that we might experience peace. See, the opposite of peace is fear. And I'm just wondering if you're afraid of anything right now. I know that I am. I know there's a so many things in life that we can be fearful of. I, there, there are times when I'm just fearful of you know, what could go wrong. Like it doesn't even have to go wrong. It's just what might go wrong. And I think that's why the number one command in God's word has nothing to do with love more or do more or be more. It's these two words right here. Fear not. That command is given in God's word more than any other. In fact, 365 times, and I do not think that that's a coincidence. I think it's intentional. I think that God knew, like, what is it that you and I need to hear every single day when we wake up? It's fear not. Why? Because there's so many things to be fearful of. And God says this to us with great compassion. He doesn't say that in a way of like, hey, you know, uh, uh, why don't you figure it out and stop being afraid? He didn't say it that way. God's like, fear not. Why? Because I love you and I care for you. I want what's best for you. And I'm in your corner. I'm cheering you on. And you know what? I don't think we hear that enough. I think that we think that we've got to somehow get God's attention. We've got to somehow be good enough for God to even acknowledge. And God's actually in your corner. He's pulling for you. He wants the best for you. He says, I don't want you to live your life in fear. I don't want you to be paralyzed that way. I, want you, I don't want you to fear anymore. I love how Philippians puts it. It's not necessarily a, a passage that we read in Christmas, but I wonder if we should. It says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. And tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience God's peace. And that peace exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds, which is where most of our anxiety lives, as you live in Christ Jesus. I, I love that passage. He goes, hey, don't worry about anything. Don't you hate it when people tell you that? But then he says, pray about everything. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a really good worrier. Like, it's one of the things I excel in. And nobody has to, like, teach me how to worry. Nobody has, I don't have to practice worry. Like, I'm just really naturally good at it. And I, my guess is that I'm not the only one today. And I would say that there's probably a whole lot of us, if I were to say, hey, are you a good prayer? Most of us would probably not say that we are a good prayer for any number of reasons. We feel uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. We don't think that we know enough. Maybe we, our mind starts to drift and we daydream in the middle of a prayer. Or we fall asleep or whatever. Here's the thing. If you're good at worry, then you could be really good at prayer. Because all worry is is prayer inverted. All worry is is prayer that is redirected. God says, you don't know what to pray? Well, I bet you you've got a whole lot that you're worried about. So why don't you take all those things that you're worried about and why don't you just direct them towards, towards me? Let me give you one more from 1 Peter chapter 5. I love this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, the Bible has a lot to say about anxiety. Long before uh, we would ever, would ever become the you know, pandemic that it is in our society today, and I don't know how that passage hits you. I know that for me, the word cast kind of throws me off a little bit because I grew up fishing with my grandfather. So when I hear the word cast, I think of like a fishing rod, like cast. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, I got all this anxiety. Let me just cast it out. But what's the problem with that analogy? 
I'm going to reel it back in. And most of us do that when it comes to our anxiety and our worry. Oh, we'll cast it out. We'll go to church every now and then. We'll pray to God, but then we just reel it right back in because we, maybe he's taken too long to answer it. Well, we didn't necessarily like the way in which he dealt with it. But actually in the original languages, the word cast is translated transfer. It's transfer all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, the message of Christmas is that whatever it is that you're walking through right now, God says, I want you to experience peace. He doesn't promise that you'll understand that peace. He doesn't promise that you'll be able to have everything figured out. He doesn't even promise that all the things that are stressing you out will go away. He actually says, no, even in the midst of all those things that are imperfect, you can experience something that transcends it all. You can actually experience peace whenever you look around and say, this is anything but peaceful. You ever been around somebody and they're going through something horrific in their lives? And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it's a divorce. Maybe their child is suffering from a disease. Uh, maybe they have a loved one that passed away unexpectedly. And you go and you sit with them and you talk to them. And you're sitting there going, I don't know how in the world they're coping with this. I don't know how they're managing this. Because if I was in their situation, I would be losing it. And, and they look at you and they just say, you know what? Uh, I, I'm just at peace right now. And they're not going to necessarily be able to fully explain to you how and why that is. It's just a feeling that you have that transcends all of your ability to understand. And that's what God wants to give you today. Whatever category you might find yourself in, whatever it is that you're walking through right now, God wants to give you that gift. See, see uh, fear and faith are closely related. If you're, if you're fearful, God just simply wants you to turn it into faith. And that's not unicorns and, you know, rainbows. That's, that's you putting your trust in, in the Prince of Peace. That's what God wants for you. And honestly, as a church, that's what we want you to experience in and through Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the reason why we exist. In fact, our mission statement as a church, many of you have been around here for a while. You, you know this statement because we say it so much, is that we want to remove unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus. That's all we're trying to do is we're trying to clear the path and get you to Jesus so that you can know and follow him in every area of your life. And so we want to remove the unnecessary barriers that are keeping you from him. And every now and then people go, well, what are those unnecessary barriers? And I would say, good question. It's usually all the words that end in ism. And so it's like legalism. That's, that's maybe the biggest one. Legalism is this idea that I'm going to actually take my personal convictions and I'm going to impose them on you, usually at a distance, without really getting to know you or your heart and make you feel really bad about you not having the same convictions that I have when our stories are dramatically different. I'm just willing to bet some of you grew up in that household. And that's actually why you rejected God and why you haven't been to church in a long time. And you know what? I, can't, I don't blame you. But God is not legalistic. Other, maybe another word, it would just simply be moralism, which is very closely related. And that's this idea that you've got to take a test in order to get a hearing with God. And you've got to do all these good things and stop doing all these bad things. And then God might love you, maybe. And God's not about moralism. Or maybe another one is judgmentalism. It's this idea that I'm just going to keep my distance and I'm just going to assess who I think you are without really getting to know you. Or maybe this last one, traditionalism. Nothing wrong with tradition at all. I think tradition is a great thing unless it gets in the way of people getting to Jesus. When we get super passionate about tradition but not nearly as passionate about the mission, then something goes wrong. And we just simply want to get you to Jesus. And so here at the end of the year, uh, 
I just want to ask you to consider maybe these three questions right here. Is it possible at all for you that you've been rejecting Jesus for all the wrong reasons, all those isms? Number two, is it possible that you walked away from something really he was never offering? Jesus wasn't offering moralism. Jesus was offering something way better, grace by faith. What about this question right here? Have you found the peace that you were looking for? And if you've been away from God for a long time and you still just haven't found that thing that's satisfying your soul, could I just invite you back? Not to religion, not to legalism, not to moralism, but to a heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you and who's in your corner. And he simply says, just come to me as you are. Just come to me right as you are and let's walk together. You're just inviting Jesus into your life. So here's a prayer that I want to ask you to consider praying into a new year. Maybe you might want to snapshot this on your phone, print this out, put it on your master bathroom mirror, read it on the dashboard of your car on the way to work every day. But just start 2020 with this prayer. Jesus, if any of this that I'm hearing right now is true or real, would you help me to experience it in 2020? And see, that experience isn't necessarily found in a book. It's not found in a Google search. It's, it's not found in understanding or getting all your questions answered. Experience transcends all that. To where you're like, I don't know that I can fully explain it, but I'm experiencing God's presence in my life. So how do you do that? How do you put yourself in a position to do that? One of the things that I've found is that for me is that I've just got to make myself available. I've got to lean in and put myself in a position for God to get a hold of me and begin to speak into my life. So here's what I want to ask you to do. This is one way to do this. I want to ask you to commit to being here in person the first 15 weekends of 2020. If you're here, if you're local, if you don't have a church home, I just want to ask you to just make it a commitment. Make it a New Year's resolution. That's January 5th through Easter weekend. That's 15 weekends. And uh, if you're not from here, maybe find a, a church in your hometown that's pointing people to Jesus and do it there. By the way, I'm not trying to drum up attendance with this. I really don't care about that. Maybe this isn't the church for you. Find a church somewhere else that you like that's pointing people to Jesus. Do it there. But here's why I say this, is that I think oftentimes we, we want God to work and, and Satan won't uh, get you to do something bad. He'll just get you distracted. It just gets you in other places where you don't quiet things down enough to really hear from God. And all I really want you to do, it's not about like showing up here on the weekends. It's about showing up and actually making yourself available, which means like you don't come late and leave early. You come early and leave late. You make it your goal every single weekend. Like I'm just going to meet one brand new person. I'm going to engage in a conversation. And you know what? I'm not going to make this about me. I'm actually going to serve someone else. I'm actually going to uh, try to listen. I, I cannot promise that every message that you'll hear on those first 15 weekends are going to be a, a home run. What I can promise is God will say at least one thing to you. And so you come with those ears. You say, God, what's the one thing you want me to hear? What's the one thing you want me to apply to my life? I guarantee you, if you do that all 15 weekends starting off the year, you'll have an experience. God will work in your life if you'll just give him time and room to do it. And so next weekend is a totally online worship experience. I want to ask you to join us at traderspoint.live. But then on January 5th, uh, I'm going to have a couple of special guests here. I'm going to sit down on this stage and interview uh, Brian Welch and his daughter, Jenea. And some of you might recognize him. He's one of the guitarists for the band Korn. And, and um, Brian and Jenea have an incredible story of how God intervened in their life and how even after Brian came to know Jesus, his life got even messier. And uh, it affected his relationship with his daughter. And they just talk about it very openly. And I, you do not have to be a fan 
of corn to get something out of this. You just have to be a human being because they're as real as it gets. Man, invite somebody to come with you on this day because I think that it's going to really speak uh, to your heart, but we'd love to have you here. And more than anything, on this Christmas, at this Christmas service today, right now, wherever you're seated, I, I just hope and pray that you'll have an experience. That maybe you'll just feel the presence of God, whether you believe in him right now or not, whether you would say that you would be uh, a God person or not, that right now you would go, man, something's happening to me and I can't even fully explain it. That you could begin to experience the peace that Jesus was born to give to you. So let me pray for you. Father, we come to you today and I thank you for this Christmas. And I thank you that it's not perfect because if it was perfect, I would have no need for you. But it's actually in the imperfections that drive me to my knees and drives me back to you over and over again because I realize how imperfect I am. Because honestly, speaking for me, half the reason why Christmas isn't perfect is because of my own mistakes and my mess that I bring to the table. So God, I come to you today and I just thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And we need so desperately to experience that today. We thank you and we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.